0: father you are so gracious and uh, we have so much to celebrate lord as we we think uh, just some of the songs we sang tonight we don't have to fear justice because jesus took that punishment for us on the cross he said it is finished indicating that our debt was paid in full And because of that, Lord, we find our identity in you. Not in the world, not in what we do, not in what we look like or where we're from. But we find our identity in Christ because we are who you say we are. I pray, Father, as we seek you and continue to have our hearts turned towards you in an attitude of worship, that you would guide us and bless us as we study your word tonight and that you would be glorified during this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first 11 chapters of 1 Kings pretty much focuses on Solomon. Uh, We saw the death of David way early on in 1 Kings, uh, but really the reason we looked at David's death was to see him establish Solomon on his throne after him. Uh, And then A good number of these chapters, um, like 5, 6, 7, and 8, is all about Solomon building the temple and dedicating the temple and all the things that surrounded that. Now, last week in chapter 11, we saw the end of Solomon's reign. And the end of Solomon's reign, unfortunately, uh, was pretty sad. When you go back to chapter 11, verse... Well, really, verse 1, it says Solomon loved many foreign foreign women. And verse 4, it was so when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods. Now, we looked at the book of Ecclesiastes, and it would appear that Solomon repented before his death. But God told him, because his heart had been turned away and he was worshiping all of these idols, that He was going to take 10 tribes away from him to create the northern kingdom, but he would leave to Solomon one tribe. Now, he said, I'm not going to do it during your lifetime, but I'm going to do this to your son. Now, Ezekiel 18.20 makes this statement. The soul who sins shall die. The son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father, nor the father suffer for the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. Because of this, it might seem that God is punishing Solomon's son for Solomon's actions. This is not the case. God is splitting the kingdom. However, both Rehoboam and Jeroboam will have the opportunity to do what's right and to follow after Solomon. The teaching of god after his law and his word um, now the splitting of the kingdom was solomon's fault everything that follows after some of which we're going to look at tonight is the responsibility of those involved this doesn't mean our actions don't have response uh, consequences on others they do when i do something stupid it affects my whole family it's just the way it works but my family will never really suffer the consequences for my stupidity, nor should they. Just like if my kids do something dumb, um, I don't suffer the consequences for their actions. Okay, most of the time. There's been once or twice... Now, I haven't, it really hasn't happened with the girls yet. Been once or twice I've had to bail my son out. Which is okay, because there was more than once that my mom has bailed me out. <laughs> um, as followers of Christ god will give us loving correction but he will never punish us That's different so with all that first kings chapter 12 and rehoboam went to shechem for all israel had gone to shechem to make him king so it happened when jeroboam the son of nebat heard it he was still in egypt for he had fled from the presence of king solomon remember solomon tried to kill him and he had been dwelling in egypt that they sent and called him Then Jeroboam and the whole assembly of Israel came and spoke to Rehoboam, saying, Your father made our yoke heavy. Now therefore lighten the burdensome service of your father and his heavy yoke, which he put on us, and we will serve you. So he said to them, Depart for three days, then come back to me. And the people departed. Then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who stood before his father Solomon while he still lived. And he said, How do you advise me to answer these people? And they spoke to him, saying, if you will be a servant to these people today and serve them and answer them and speak good words to them, then they will be your servants forever. But he rejected the advice which the elders had given him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him, who stood before him. Uh, it's suggested that these young men were probably his half brothers. Uh, you have to imagine 700 wives, 300 concubines probably had a few siblings And it suggested that that's who these young men were that he consulted. And in verse 9, he said to them, what advice do you give? How should we answer the people who have spoken to me, saying, lighten the yoke which your father put on us? Then the young man who had grown up with him spoke to him, saying, thus you should speak to this people who have spoken to you, saying, your father made our yoke heavy, but you make it lighter on us. Thus you shall say to them, my little finger shall be thicker than my father's waist. And now, whereas my father put a heavy yoke on you, I will add to your yoke. My father chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scourges. Uh, The uh, the word there literally is scorpions. Does anybody have their Bible that doesn't say scorpions in their Bible? It says scorpions, because that's actually what the word is. Um, It comes from um, uh, the word we, we talk about the scourge that they used in Rome where they embedded bits of glass and whatnot into it. Um, there was a version of that in the ancient East uh, or mid middle East is where this was all taking place um, that they called a Scorpius. Uh, and they call it, it was the same thing they would embed bone and rock into the leather strips of the whip, uh, to inflict greater punishment but it was called a scorpius Um, so he wasn't going to like throw scorpions at people that was the name of the whip so jeroboam and all the people came to rehoboam the third day as the king had directed saying come back to me the third day then the king answered the people roughly and rejected the advice which the elders had given him and he spoke to them according to the advice of the young men saying my father made your yoke heavy but i will add to your yoke my father chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scourges or scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people, for, he tur- for the turn of events was from the Lord, that he might fulfill his word which the Lord had spoken by Ahijah the Shilonite to Jeroboam the son of Naboth. Now when all Israel saw that the king did not listen to them, the people answered the king, saying, What share have we in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. To your tents, O Israel, now see to your own house oh David so Israel departed to their tents but Rehoboam reigned over the children of Israel who dwelt in the cities of Judah so we're going to stop there for a minute so this is what happens this prophet Ahijah told Jeroboam that the the kingdom was going to be split and Jeroboam was going to get the northern kingdom when Solomon finds out he tries to kill him when Solomon dies, Rehoboam becomes king, Jeroboam comes back, and he with all the people, right, they come and they, they make a simple request. You, you have to imagine, we read about the ridiculous wealth of Solomon. We read about what the governors of the various areas had to bring him month by month just to feed his household, right? It, it was insane. And then on top of that, all that was happened, the labor force and all that that took place to build the temple. So their request isn't unreasonable, right? Your your dad, for the last 40 years, has taxed us up one side and down the other. Can you give us a break? And the elders give him pretty good advice, don't they? Right? If you'll be a servant to these people, if you answer them and speak good words, they'll be your servants forever. And this is what a godly king in Israel was supposed to be like. He was to serve the people. That's the example that David gave them more importantly it's the example that jesus gave us Uh, matthew chapter 20 verses 25 through 28 jesus called them to himself and said he's speaking to his disciples you know that the rulers of the gentiles lorded over them and those who are great exercise authority over them yet it shall not be so among you but whoever desires to become great among you let him be your servant and whoever desires to be first among you let him be your slave just as the son of man did not come to serve but to be not to be served but to serve sorry just as the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many a servant will always put the needs of others ahead of their own and so the, the elders said this is this is what you should do you serve the people And guess what's going to happen? They're going to serve you. And he goes, yeah, I don't like that. So he goes to the young men and asks them what should happen. And they said, oh, go tell them you're going to make things worse, right? Because that's selfishness. That's pride. That's not somebody who is going to serve the people, but somebody who's going to take advantage of the people. So verse 15 said, he didn't listen to the people for the turn of events was from the Lord. And and in the end, they said, we have no part with you, Israel, to your tents. Now, we're going to read a little bit more about that in a moment. But what this brought up in my mind was a really interesting tension that we find throughout Scripture between the sovereign will of God right? The turn of events was from the Lord, it says in verse 15. And then the free will of human beings because the king did not listen to the people. So here we have the king making a choice, a bad choice, but a choice nonetheless. And we have the sovereign will of God really prophetically coming to pass. So God is sovereign. We know that. He is the ruler over all things. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He is all-present. And all of creation, and I'm not just talking about creation as we see it here on earth, or even what we can see through our telescopes, but all of the cosmos, he controls. It's his. And we have free will. Really? Ephesians 1, 11 through 14. I love this verse because it both shows up, or these three verses, they both show up. In him, speaking of in Christ, we have obtained an an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So what does that say? That says we were predestined according to the counsel of God's will. Predestined according to his sovereign will. There you go, predestination. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. But then it goes on in him. You also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed him. were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So predestined according to his word or his will. But then we heard the gospel and believed. Sovereignty of God and our free will seen at the same time, right? And we see that all throughout scripture. When we studied the book of Romans and we looked at Romans chapter nine and Romans chapter 10, we see that tension, right? We see it multiple places. Um, we're going to, we're going to talk about this in just a moment, but we, we see it throughout scripture. So the first thing I'm going to state is our free will cannot negate god's sovereignty our free will does not change alter upset the sovereignty of god isaiah 46 verse 8 through 11 says this remember this and stand firm recall it to mind you transgressors remember the former things of old for i am god and there is no other i am god and there is none like me Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done saying my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country. I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. So there is one side of this where it doesn't matter what we do. Right, And it does matter what we do, but it doesn't matter what we do in relation to the fact that God's sovereign will will always be accomplished. God's sovereignty does not remove our responsibility for exercising our free will. Judas is an amazing example of that. Jesus, in Matthew 26, verse 24, said this, "...the Son of Man indeed..." goes just as it is written of him right he knew he was coming to his crucifixion he knew right this has been prophesied in multiple places like psalm 22 isaiah 53 he knew he was coming to his crucifixion and that it was going to be a fulfillment of a multitude of old testament prophecy and then he says but woe to that man by who the son of man is betrayed it would have been good For that man, if he had not been born. So yes, I'm going to the cross according to the sovereign will of my father. But for the person who betrayed me, they are responsible for their actions. And that's a lot. Now here comes our issue that we see, and we've seen it for hundreds of years, right? This is not a common issue or a a new issue, Um, but it's around a lot. Because we see a lot of Christians scholars, theologians, pastors, so on and so forth, who try to force people into one camp or the other. Where we see this a lot is the argument between Calvinism and Arminianism. Now, unfortunately, uh, if you go back and you study history really well, uh, uh, Joseph Arminius, uh, who Arminianism is named after, was a heretic. Um, <laughs> so it's really sad that any anything biblical would be named after him. Um, and and john calvin did not teach the extreme version of calvinism that is sometimes taught today Uh, calvinism teaches that we are predestined right if you break it down to its simplest form we are predestined by god elected for salvation the bible clearly teaches that arminianism if you get rid of all the heresy um, his big thing was is that we have to choose to be saved now, the big difference, then, is Calvin, Calvinists then argue that you can't lose your salvation. And an Arminiist will argue every time you do something done, you've lost your salvation and you have to get saved all over again. That's not, neither of those are particularly true in Scripture. So how do we reconcile these two things? We don't. The Bible clearly teaches that according to the sovereign will of God, I have been predestined to salvation, elected according to his grace. And because of that, he is holding me firmly in his hand and no one can snatch me out. That's beautiful. The Bible also says that we have to believe the gospel in order to be saved, which is an exercise of our free will. And in an exercise of our free will, we are responding to God's offer of the free gift of salvation. And we can choose to not respond. Now, choosing not to respond is a rejection, but uh, we can choose to reject. But we still have that choice. God's not going to force it. Now, what I love about this is that faith is believing what we do not understand. I cannot fully reconcile in my brain, or even close to it, how God is sovereign and how I have free will all at the same time. How what he plans to get done will get done no matter what I do. But if I choose to follow him and I choose to obey him and I choose to, to walk the path that he's laid before me, then I'll be part of accomplishing his sovereign will on earth. Right? If it, when you When you lay down, when you go to bed tonight... And you lay down, just start trying to think about that back and forth. And and, uh, when when your brain starts leaking out your ears, stop and go to sleep. Because it's okay for God to know things we don't know. He understands it. He knows how his sovereign will and our free will work together. He knows everything. He's all powerful. He's all present. We can trust him. We can rest in him even if we don't fully understand something. Going back to that message I referenced earlier, I, it, one of the things that the pastor I was listening to, John Mark Comer, he, he was talking about the, the idea that, that when you're in a church, you're not supposed to ask questions. And there there are some churches that are that way. You know, whatever the pastor says goes, and we're not going to ask questions, we're not going to have discussions, we're not, we're not going to explore these things or or anything like that. I thought that was just for women. <laughs> oh my. So for the recording, Pat McKee said, I thought that was just for women. Uh-uh, Joan, uh you you can you can do what you want with that. Um Right? And and if you ever I the church I got saved in and I will always be thankful for that church because I heard the gospel there and I came to know Christ. But you weren't allowed to question the pastor. You weren't. Uh, one of the reasons we left the church is I went to the pastor on a specific issue uh, that the Bible is very clear about, right? It wasn't even a, like one of those issues where you, uh, you maybe it goes this way, maybe it goes that way. It was something the Bible is very, very clear about. And I said, okay, the Bible says this. And all I did was read the passage. And on Sunday, you said this. And those two things, they don't line up for me. What? And he said, well, you're just misunderstanding the Bible. I said, I, I, all I did was read it. All I did was read the passage. How, how is that a misunderstanding? Well, you're just, you're just misunderstanding and misinterpreting. You didn't really hear what I said and, and, and all of this stuff. And I'm like, okay, bye. If I say something that doesn't sound right, come and ask me about it. Because what does James say? If anybody does not stumble in their speech, they're perfect. And not to burst anybody's bubble, but I am far from perfect. And I've gone back and I've listened to sermons that i've preached in the past um i I usually listen to everything uh not always all the way through but just to make sure the recording's good before i put it on the website and sometimes i'll hear something that i said and i'm like oh you know now if it's if i said something that was that was unbiblical or or heresy uh, on accident um, I would never post that, but a lot of times I just listen to it and I, I stumble over my words or I say a sentence wrong or I, I have to try to explain my way out of something because something came out of my mouth that wasn't what I intended. So ask questions. Let's talk about stuff. You know, I, I am far from perfect. I do not pretend that my, my theology is the end-all be-all. I don't pretend that I understand this book perfectly from one end to the other. I just, none of us can and that's part of walking the christian life together is being able to talk about these things and pray about these things and and being able to look at something and go yeah I, I don't really know for my sermon on sunday there's a section in the sermon on sunday that i look at it and i'm like i have no idea so you know what i wrote in my notes and you'll hear it on sunday i don't know because i don't and i'm okay with that god knows He knows why it's there. He knows why it says what it says. So I don't have to know. I just have to trust that he knows and go from there. Now, one interesting thing that I think is so cool, we're not going to get through two chapters. One that I think is so cool, Uh, in uh, one of the commentaries I I saw, I was listening to, um, Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. That's a lot. You know, they didn't have birth control. How many kids did Solomon probably have? Hundreds? Maybe thousands? Who knows? But we only get one. Rehoboam. And Rehoboam is a jerk. I find that fascinating. Verse 18. Then King Rehoboam sent Adarim, who was in charge of the revenue. In other words, he was a tax collector. But all Israel stoned him with stones, and he died. Therefore King Rehoboam mounted his chariot in haste to flee to Jerusalem. So Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. Now it came to pass, when all Israel heard that Jeroboam had come back, they sent for him and called him to the congregation and made him king over all Israel. There was none who followed the house of David, but the tribe of Judah only. Uh, We're going to see in verse 21 that the tribe of Benjamin does as well. Uh, But we'll we'll talk about that in a moment. Rehoboam does something just plain dumb. The 10 tribes in the north say, we're done with you. We're going home. And Rehoboam goes, I'm going to go try to collect taxes from those people. Now, at least he went with this poor guy adoram and a poor adoram he was just doing his job but he goes to the northern tribes he's like yeah i'm here from reyoboam it's it's time for the taxes and instead of giving him taxes they stone the poor guy to death now i know stoning a tax collector probably sounds pretty good to most of us uh, but i'm not encouraging violence don't stone tax collectors it's not their fault and uh, this year i'm actually really it's very rare that i like the irs Right? Nobody's really fond of the IRS. Sorry, don't don't take away our tax exempt status, right? I I still pay my taxes, I promise. Um, But I'm getting a return this year. And I'm like, what? That doesn't usually happen for me. Um, And so (laughs) they stone this guy. Rehoboam jumps in his chariot and runs back to Jerusalem, or you know, rides back to Jerusalem. And Israel remains in rebellion until this day. And the northern tribes make Jeroboam king fulfilling the prophecy that we saw in chapter 11. Now, the kingdom was never united again. So the kingdom was never united under Saul. The kingdom was united for 33 of David's 40 years. And the kingdom was united for Solomon's 40 years. Rehoboam takes over, the kingdom splits. And the kingdom was never united again again as a nation under their own rule like when they came back from captivity there wasn't really a northern and southern kingdom but they weren't really a kingdom when they came back from captivity they were still under babylon's rule when babylon well actually they were still under the they they were under the medo-persian empire because babylon fell and then cyrus let them go back then what happened to cyrus Uh, uh, persia fell to greece So Israel was still not under their own rule. They were under Alexander the Great and then under one of his four generals after Alexander died. What happened to Greece? Rome came in. And under Rome, they were dispersed and not a nation again until 1947 or 48. It wasn't until 1948 that they were a kingdom again under their own rule and united. That's pretty incredible. Ezekiel 37, God gives the prophet a command to take two sticks and write two names, one name on each stick. He writes Judah on one stick for the southern kingdom, and he writes Ephraim on another stick for the northern kingdom, and then he tells them to join them together. Now, this prophecy in Ezekiel 37 and then 38, 39, and so on, is an end times prophecy when God would bring all Israel who had been scattered back to the land as one nation. That part of the prophecy in Ezekiel 37 was fulfilled in 1948. That is awesome. Just awesome. And since then, Israel has been a nation under her own rule and not divided by tribes. Prophecy is fantastic. Verse 21. And when Rehoboam came to Jerusalem, he assembled all the house of Judah with the tribe of Benjamin, 180,000 chosen men who were warriors to fight against the house of Israel, that he might restore the kingdom to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. But the word of God came to Shemaiah, the man of God, saying, Speak to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, king of Judah, to all the house of Judah and Benjamin, and to the rest of the people saying thus says the lord you shall not go up nor fight against your brethren the children of israel let every man return to his house for this thing is from me therefore they obeyed the word of the lord and turned back according to the word of the lord now so we have we have benjamin here and there are some people that get really bent out of shape because god said i'm only going to leave you one tribe well judah and benjamin you know i i can count right that's two So did did God lie that he was only going to leave them one tribe? And what really gets sticky about all of that, and is why I'm I'm not really going to make a great attempt to explain it, because I'm not really not entirely sure. Every time we see the tribes of Israel listed, it's different. Did you ever notice that? Um, I mean, not every single time, but a lot of times when we see the tribes of Israel listed, they're different. Sometimes we see Levi included. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes we see Joseph included. Sometimes we see Joseph listed as Ephraim and Manasseh. Now, Ephraim and Manasseh were technically two tribes, but really they were only one tribe because they were Joseph's kids. Um, But they would split them up into two tribes when Levi isn't counted as a tribe. A little later on, uh, as you start going through, you'll start seeing Dan being completely left out of, uh, of the listing of the tribes. And then they include Levi and Ephraim and Manasseh. I mean, right? So so it goes round and round and round. Uh, In the end, Benjamin was a fairly small tribe. Judah was the family of Rehoboam. So they stuck with him. But whatever the case, Rehoboam finally does something right. Finally. He goes, fine. You're not going to follow me? I'm going to get my troops, and I'm going to come up and reunite the kingdom by force. And God says, no. He sends this prophet Shemaiah, and he says don't do that don't do that this thing is for me don't fight against your brethren go home and rehoboam listens that's pretty cool Uh, unfortunately it's probably the last time rehoboam obeys the word of god and, and we'll see more of that as we move forward but there it is verse 25 then Jeroboam built Shechem in the mountains of Ephraim and dwelt there. Also, he went out from there and built Penuel. The uh, interesting thing about Shechem, i will just going to stop for real quick. Um, Shechem became his capital. Uh, Jesus came to Shechem. Uh, the woman at the well was in that area. And uh, it became the capital of the northern kingdom uh, after they were taken captive. And the northern kingdom got, was called Samaria. It, Shechem became the capital of Samaria um so a really significant city biblically speaking you can go all the way back to the book of genesis and uh, remember it was the son of shechem who raped jacob's daughter dinah and then his two oldest sons reuben and simeon convinced all the men of town to get circumcised and one of my favorite verses in all of the bible on the third day when they were in pain uh, reuben and simeon went in and slaughtered all the men of shechem Uh, right so so the the, this area right and i'm the the area of shechem that was back there in genesis and the city here probably not the same location at least not exactly Uh, but shechem has a a very significant history throughout scripture so he makes it the capital of the north i should move forward penuel uh, became a fortified city kind of a place that you would run to if the nation was attacked Uh, and jeroboam said in his heart now the kingdom may return to the house of david if these people go up and offer sacrifices in the house of the Lord of Jerusalem, then the heart of the people will turn back to their Lord, Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they will kill me and go back to Rehoboam, king of Judah. Therefore, the king asked advice, made two calves of gold and said to the people, it is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, O Israel, which brought you up from the land of Egypt. And he set one up in Bethel. And the other he put in Dan. Uh, You go back to the book of Judges, Dan was the first tribe to fall into idolatry once they came into the land. So he made shrines on the high places. He made priests from every class of people who were not of the sons of Levi. Jeroboam ordained a feast on the 15th day of the eighth month. Uh, One of the feasts was to be held on the 15th day of the seventh month, I think. Oh, come on, brain, don't fail me. Okay, my brain failed me. I don't remember which one it is. Um, And the feast was in Judah, uh, like the feast that was in Judah and offered sacrifices on the altar. So he did to Bethel, sacrificing to the calves that he had made. And at Bethel, he installed the priests of the high places, which he had made. So he made offerings on the altar, which he had made at Bethel on the 15th day of the eighth month in the month which he had devised in his own heart. And he ordained a feast for the children of Israel and offered sacrifices on the altar and burned incense. How quickly Jeroboam failed. When we go back to chapter 11, and the prophecy that was said over Jeroboam, uh, God gives him the reason in verse 33, because they have forsaken me and worshipped all these false gods. And then he says to him, in verse 38, it will be if you heed all that I command you, walk in my ways, and do what is right in my sight to keep my statutes and my commandments as my statute, as my servant David did, then I will be with you. I will build for you an enduring house as I built for David, and I will give Israel to you. That's a pretty fantastic promise, isn't it? So listen, Jeroboam, Solomon blew it. I'm going to give you ten tribes. When I give you these ten tribes, Do what I've told you to do. Walk after me the way my servant David walked. And if you did, I'm going to make your kingdom great. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to give Israel to you. Now, we don't have a time frame. Maybe it was a month. Maybe it was a year. But whatever the case, Jeroboam goes, you know what? If they go back to the temple to worship, Their hearts are going to turn back toward Rehoboam. Now remember, the Jewish people were required, the Jewish males were required to go to Jerusalem three times a year uh, for, um, wow, the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the Feast of Pentecost. Woo-hoo! That was out of order. It's the Feast of Unleavened Bread, then the Feast of Tabernacle, and then the Feast of Pentecost, then the Feast of Tabernacles. But they were required to do that three, three times a year. and and Jeroboam thinks well if they do that well then they're going to be at the temple they're going to be down there in Jerusalem they're going to see Rehoboam at the feast too and their hearts are going to turn back so this is what I'll do he asks advice and then he makes two calves of gold absolutely incredible to me because if you go back to the book of exodus Moses was up on the mountain right receiving the tablets of the law and all the people look at Aaron Moses brother and go what's up with your brother where where did he go We we don't know what's going on do something and Aaron says all right give me all your gold so they give him all the gold and he fashions a calf a golden calf and he tells all the people this is Yahweh no it's not but he tells all the people this is Yahweh and they decide they're going to worship the golden calf as though it's Yahweh. And the Bible says that they went into all kinds of, of, uh, uh, what's the word, like revelry. It's a really nice way of saying they, they descended into sexual sin. Jeroboam knows that that took place. He would have had access to that. He would have heard it. He would have been taught it as he was growing up. And what happened? Well, it didn't work out, did it? Moses came down from the mountain, he breaks the two tablets of stone, he grinds my favorite it's it's so there I love that the Bible records the truth for us even when that truth is somebody in the Bible telling a lie. Uh it's one of my favorite lies that's ever been told. When he comes down and he looks at Aaron and he's like, "Dude." And Aaron goes, "I took the gold, threw it in the fire, and this calf just came out." That's not what happened. Aaron made the calf, and he lies to Moses. Moses grinds it up into powder and makes all the people who participated drink it. Right? But you would think they would have learned. Nope. And why does he do it? Does he do it because it's what's best for the people? No, he does it because he's afraid to lose his power. He does it because he's afraid to lose his power to lose his power so two things jeroboam should not have done this when we realize that we have no power right all the power is really god's then we're not going to be afraid to lose our power or our status or whatever it might be and we'll simply seek to follow the lord and obey his word if jeroboam had just trusted the word of god this never would have happened psalm 62 11 through 12 says this once god has spoken twice have i heard this that power belongs to god and that to you O lord belongs steadfast love for you will render to man according to his work this is why we don't conform to the world this is why we will not compromise scripture right he was afraid to lose his power he was afraid that people would like rehoboam he was afraid that people would kill him and because of that he compromised you know, it doesn't matter what people think of us it doesn't matter what the world says about us it doesn't matter if the rest of the world looks at us as followers of christ and thinks we're crazy if we're doing what god has asked us to do that's what matters the only thing that matters is what god thinks of us not what people think of us now on the flip side of that the people shouldn't have done this they knew better than to worship idols They didn't have to obey the king who was telling them to disobey God. They didn't have to do that. They could have looked at Jeroboam and went, dude, uh uh-uh, we know better. Ten commandments, straight up. You'll have no other gods before me. Do not make any carved image, right? We are not supposed to do this. We're not doing this. Jeroboam, you're on your own. In Acts chapter 5, when the apostles were arrested the second time, uh, right, they were arrested many times, but this is the second time recorded for us in the book of Acts. They got up before the Sanhedrin and all of the religious leaders looked at them and said, you have to stop. You cannot preach the name of Jesus anymore. You can't preach in the temple, you can't preach in synagogues, you can't preach in the streets. You need to stop. And in Acts 5.29, it says, Peter and the other apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. We must obey God rather than men. And I think there are a lot of, of Christians and, and probably very well-meaning Christians um, who are so afraid of what people will think about them that they will compromise and conform to the culture around them instead of obeying God's word. And, and it's sad because that's... And, and I'm, not, I'm not judging. I've done it. I've done it. There have been times I was afraid to open my mouth. There has been times I agreed with something because it was easier than arguing with it. And I have repented of those times and I'm forgiven by God's grace But that statement, we must obey God rather than men. And he's made it simple for us, hasn't he? He gave us a book so we know what he wants us to do. And then he gave us his spirit to empower us to do it. Doesn't mean we're not going to make mistakes. Doesn't mean we're not going to do wrong things. Going all the way back to our discussion about free will. We're going to make bad decisions. We're going to do the wrong thing. We're going to sin. We repent. We return. cleanses us and forgives us. But there's going to be times for all of us when we're going to be faced with this choice. Do we do what the world wants us to do? Or do we do what God wants us to do? Do we do what the culture wants us to do? Or do we do what the Bible wants us to do? Do we compromise biblical truth to keep the people around us happy? Or do we stand unwavering on the truth of God's word, even if it means people might not like us. We'll take chapter 13 next week. (laughs) Let's pray. Lord, I ask for your grace and your strength. There's so much pressure, so much temptation, To give in to the whims of the world around us. To give in to the culture around us. To compromise your truth. So that we can keep the people around us happy. So Father, I pray for your strength. That we wouldn't do that. Lord, none of us are perfect. And I thank you for your grace and your forgiveness for when I make mistakes. But I pray that you would give us boldness like the apostles, that you would give us strength by your Holy Spirit to follow the instructions you've given us in your word so that we can glorify you in our lives and so that we can share the love of your gospel, of who Jesus is and all he has done for us with the world around us. In Jesus' name. Amen.